Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Christians make up the body of Christ. Christians are people who live in union with Jesus Christ by daily faith. And he identifies with us and we identify with him. And when the world hates the church and when society attacks God's people, they're persecuting him. And in that sense, he continues to suffer. And welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Easter is a time when eggs are dyed, treats are given, and friends and families gather for a special meal. But today, Philip DeCourse reminds us that most importantly, Easter is a time when believers praise God for the gift of Christ's resurrection and the resurrection he promises us too. Later, after the message, you'll hear about an encouraging resource that will help believers apply the message and power of Christ's resurrection to their daily lives. Now, Here's Philip with a lesson titled, Always Abounding. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, we invite you to open it. If you don't listen along, I'm going to speak this morning on the subject, Always Abounding. Always Abounding. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, as I thought about an appropriate text for Easter Sunday morning. Here it is. In fact, we'll break back into verse 57. This is the great chapter on the resurrection. Paul has confessed the truth of the resurrection in this chapter. He has confirmed it and defended it and shown its importance. And he has celebrated it and he calls us to celebrate it. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he wants us not only to believe in it, but to be transformed by it. So listen to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's our text. Always abounding. Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. He was an extremely quiet man, reserved to a fault. He had a very kind of flat personality. He had a tendency to say no more than two to three words in answer to any question posed to him. So he got nicknamed Silent Cal. In fact, there's a famous story of a man who bet his friends that he could get President Coolidge to say more than two words. And so he approached the president and he said, you know what, sir, I wanted you to be honest. I bet my friends that I can get you to say more than two words, to which the president replied, you lose. (laughs) That's just who he was, kind of flat, deadpan personality. In fact, some people argued that he was weaned on dill pickle juice from he was a child. In 1933, upon his death, the radio airwaves were filled with the news of Calvin Coolidge's death. The columnist Dorothy Parker was in her office in New York City when a colleague came running in to her office and blurted, Dottie, did you hear 
President Coolidge is dead. To which he famously replied, how do they know? <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? How do they know? Joking aside, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing if you cannot tell if someone is dead or alive, if they've got a pulse. Now, by contrast, I would make an argument that it should be easy to tell or spot the Christian because the Christian is someone wide awake to life. The Christian is someone alive to life because for the Christian, Christ who is life is alive in them. They've been born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or as Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 24, Christ in us, the living Christ indwelling us, the hope of glory. There is Christianity in a sentence. And that makes the Christian irrepressible. Nothing holds the Christian back. Nothing holds the Christian down because they believe on that first Easter Sunday morning, Christ stood up in the midst of death. In fact, that's what the word resurrection means, to stand up. And Christ stood up amidst the dead and declared himself alive. And that changed everything in history. And it changes the story of those who within history joined their story to Christ's story. For the Christian, life is forever brimming over with hope and joy and peace and meaning and purpose. I hope that describes you this morning. And if you're not a Christian, I can tell you in the authority of God's Word, you can leave this morning enjoying that reality. If you'll repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and surrender to his lordship over life. We had an old man in our first church in Northern Ireland, a Mr. Andrews, who used to pray late in life, Lord, keep me alive until I'm dead. It's a great little prayer. See, that's the prayer the Christian prays. The Christian can't afford not to be living to the max because they have the power of the risen Christ at work in them, causing them to embrace life and to live it wide awake. And so I want to come to kind of undergird and underscore all that I've just said, and I want to come to 1 Corinthians 15.58, because that's what Paul is getting across. He says, look, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which he has argued throughout this chapter, as we've said, he's confessed it, confirmed it, and celebrated it. He says, if you believe it, then you're going to be transformed by it. This isn't just something that you believe in, in a creed. This is something you live each and every day of your life. Belief affects behavior. And so he says, if you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his physical resurrection, then it'll be worked out in your life in this way. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know in the light of his resurrection, anything you do for him is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not purposeless. It's not meaninglessness. Have you noticed so much meaninglessness now in our culture? We need the message of Easter. That's what Paul's out here. Let me just reinforce that verse 
58 and the first word, therefore. That's a word that means consequently. So then. Paul's been running his mouth off about the resurrection for 57 verses. And then, boom, consequently. This is what I want you to take home. Given all that I've said, this is what I must say. If Jesus is risen, then be steadfast, irrepressible, working for the purpose of the kingdom, knowing that it's an everlasting kingdom and anything you do is not in vain. Adrian Warnock says this, a Christian is someone who believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and lives in the light of the implication of the event. It's a good statement. Now, there's three implications in our text. If you're taking notes, Paul says, in the light of Jesus' physical resurrection on the third day, because remember, he tells us early in this chapter that Christ died for our sin according to God's word. Then he was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to God's word. If you live in the light of the implication of that event, be established, be enthused, be expectant. Let's look at the text. Be established. The reality of the resurrection makes the Christian steadfast and immovable. The fact that death has been disarmed by Christ arms us with a weapon to fight discouragement within and opposition without. Paul says here, be steadfast. I think that means be steadfast in your commitment to the gospel truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We have confirmed it and we want to celebrate it, and we must commit ourselves to it. Because the doctrine of the resurrection, even in Paul's day, as in ours, was under attack. There were those who denied that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul addresses that. In fact, he does a little bit of counterfactual history. He says, imagine that's true. Imagine our enemies are right. Then, you know what? We're still in our sin. Our faith is empty. Preaching is just hotter. Our loved ones are still dead. And you know what? If we're suffering for the sake of the gospel, which isn't a myth and not true, then we're to be pitied. But you know what? Christ is risen. And there's evidence of that. There's an empty tomb. There's hundreds of witnesses. There's the change in his disciples, so on and so forth. And if that's true, then don't be moved and don't be shaken by the arguments of your enemies. The resurrection is a settled matter. But here's the point you and I have got to really take home with us. The wonderful thing was, as they kept the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as a living belief among them, it promised to keep them from fits of despair, apathy, and anxiety. They could be steadfast as they were steadfast in their commitment to the doctrine of the resurrection. See, nothing should shake the Christian. Nothing should knock us off our balance. Nothing should cause us to surrender to it in hopelessness. 
Because we can be steadfast, unmovable, given the hope of the resurrection. Because if it's true and we believe it to be true, it opens the gate to a steady march forward into a promising future. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is as a bright light that shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, here's the Christian experience. One experience of glory followed by another experience of glory followed by another experience of glory until we're actually in glory, which is a never-ending experience of glory. See, that's our future. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And if that's true, then there's no stepping back. There's no falling over. There's no surrendering to despair. Few things more readily promote stability than the assurance of eventual victory. Let me say that again. Few things more readily promote stability in life than the assurance of eventual victory. You can stick anything, can't you, if you know in the end you win. You can go through anything if you know in the end it goes away and you're on top of it. Now we know that Christ has been victorious over death, that Christ has promised us victory. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. If we have the victory, and by the way, we're not working for victory as Christians. We're working from victory towards victory. Then we can stick the muddy middle. We're in the middle of the story. In fact, let me just drill down into this for a moment or two. The word steadfast is a word that comes from a Greek word that means chair or seat. There you are sitting on your chair. You're fixed in place. You're steadfast. At least you are, your kids. You're having to nail them to the chair. But that's the idea. It speaks of remaining seated, being firmly fixed in place. We talk about someone planting themselves in a seat. When I've been away most of the day and it's been a busy day, there's a leather easy chair in our house known as the throne. <laughs> and I sit on it. And when I come in, I just plop down. I plant myself on that seat. Then I ring a bell and June brings me my dinner. <laughs> no, no, no. That was a dream I had. Um, um, <laughs> She actually does it quite often. She's a, a great woman. But that's the point. That's our word. This word steadfast comes from a word meaning seat or chair. So here's the question. Taking Paul's words here, be steadfast and movable. How can we remain seated, fixed in our place, when everything around us is shaking when either our personal life or our national life or we look out on the world and it's so unsettling, it rattles ours. But you and I can remain seated, so to speak, metaphorically. We can be at peace. We can be unmoved. We can be fixed because Christ is risen. And Christ is not only risen, he's exalted. And Christ is not only exalted, what is he? He's seated. If you look at Mark 16, verse 19, or look at Luke 22, 69, or Hebrews 1, verse 3, it speaks about Christ being seated. Take the text in Hebrews 1, 3. It says, after he purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
I tell you what he's doing, according to Psalm 110, verse 1, he's presiding over history to its conclusion. When all his enemies will be put under his feet. In fact, Paul talks about that in this very chapter. He says in verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts to an end all the rule and authority and power. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy being death. Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty and high, presiding over history. And you know what? By the end of history, all his enemies, all of God's enemies, all those who have bullied and persecuted the church will be put under his feet. You know what? You look out on our world and it all seems to be falling apart. Russia is rising. China is a menace. Jerusalem's on fire. Morally, the West especially, it's the days of Lot and Noah lawlessness and sexual perversion. And yet, you know what? That's only a sample. We could talk about globalism and and money markets and all of that. In one sense, it's all falling apart, but in another sense, it's all coming together because all of that's talked about in the Bible, in prophecy. And Jesus is at the right hand of God putting his enemies under his feet. And someday he's going to come in power and glory. He's going to get up off the seat and come in power and glory with the armies of heaven. He's presiding. He's praying. Romans 8, verse 34. Romans 8, verse 34, that he has passed into the heavens. For us, he's at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He wants you to come in all your brokenness, with all your burdens. He wants you to share that with him because he lived your life, faced your temptations, died in your place, opened up the opportunity for you to know God through faith in him, and he sits on a throne of grace. What an image that he's grace. He wants to favor you. He wants to bless you through his brokenness and your brokenness, and you can come and talk to him. See, the Bible's the only book that you get to read and talk to its author right away. When you read the Bible, you can end up in a conversation with the Christ who's talked about in the Bible. Not only is he presiding, not only is he praying, he's providing. Because the amazing thing is, Ephesians 1, 3 and Ephesians 2, 6, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. He's seated, and then through our union with him, all that he is and all that he's enjoying and his victory won, all the benefits of that can be ours. And whatever we need to live life, he will provide. He'll provide the strength when we're weak. He'll provide wisdom when we're confused. He'll provide victory on the verge of defeat. You can remain seated because Christ is seated. In 1993, I came out to the Shepherds Conference at Grace Community Church with John MacArthur. John, just a few months earlier, had actually come to Northern Ireland and preached for me. And out of his kindness, he invited me to come and stay with him and attend the Shepherds Conference. And it was memorable for several reasons, the preaching, the music, the company of thousands of godly men. 
On that particular Sunday afternoon, we were sitting after Vespers and having lunch in the gym. And it was two things I remembered about that lunch. We were seated at a table. I was with several pastors I didn't know. One of them was from Texas. And he, he asked me the strangest question I think I've ever been asked. He said, are there any automobiles in Ireland? <laughs> now, this was in 1893. This was 1993. I said, buddy, you got to stop watching The Quiet Man with John Wayne and Mary O'Hara or whatever her name was. Yeah, we have got automobiles. Do you have any schools in Texas? No, I didn't ask him that, but I was thinking it. But there was another thing I remember. This is the point of the story. There was an earthquake. That was the Sunday aftershock after the Northridge earthquake, if you remember. In fact, they weren't sure if they were going to do the conference because of the tragedy of the Northridge earthquake. But that afternoon, we're sitting, and there was an aftershock. It was something like an 8.0 or an 8.5. It was a big deal. And, you know, I think it was kind of a rolling earthquake. And so I felt my seat going up and down. The spoon on my saucer began to kind of bounce. I actually thought I saw the wall ripple. And all I heard was the screech of chairs as everybody outside of the state of California headed for the doors. In object panic. Now, I didn't know what to do. So I'm about two tables away from John MacArthur, who was my host. I was staying with him and Patricia. And I just came to this conclusion. If he runs, I run. <laughs> if he sits, I sit. I'm going down with MacArthur. <laughs> John never budged. He just sat there. and kind of took it as it came. And it kind of rolled away, thankfully. Oh, my friend, whatever the emergency in your life as a Christian, you can remain seated while everybody else is heading for the exits. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, and today's message is the first of a two-part lesson called Always Abounding from our Easter series of the same title. You can access the complete study online when you visit us at ktt.org. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the gospel with a world in need of truth through biblical teaching and preaching from God's Word. And we also want to equip other believers to live in the victory Christ offers us. So that's why each month we offer various resources in addition to our radio broadcast. This month, Philip has selected a book that's sure to encourage readers whether they're new or seasoned Christians. It's titled, A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. Designed for the average believer who feels unfit to serve God because of sin, this book helps believers understand how God banishes our sin and that we can let it go too. If you or a friend could use some encouragement in your personal life or ministry, this book is for you. And you can request your copy today when you donate any amount to know the truth. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. While you're on that website, you'll find instructive and inspiring resources like Pastor Philip's Truth Matters devotional, which challenges believers to embrace God's unchanging word in an ever-changing world and live each day for His glory. You'll also find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages so that you can stay up to date on all things Know the Truth and easily share the gospel message with others. And for easy listening on the go, download the KTT app or podcast. 
Just search the app or podcast store on your mobile device for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. One more thing, if you've never reached out before, we'd like to welcome you with a free devotional from Pastor Philip. Learn more at ktt.org. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to join us tomorrow for a special Easter message and the inspiring finale of the series titled Always Abounding. That'll be Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah.